Welcome to the Fertile Womb Podcast. My name is Holly, and I'm the owner of Rosebud Wellness, which is a women's holistic health practice in Southern California. In my practice, I use acupuncture, yoni steaming, abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method to support women on their conception journey. In this podcast, I will be sharing about some of the practices and tools that I use in my practice, and also will be interviewing women about their own personal fertility journey, as well as other professionals in the fertility space. Thanks so much for listening. Please enjoy. If you're interested in learning more about the fertility awareness method, then I have a very exciting announcement for you. So many women are interested in learning more about fertility awareness, but they're not necessarily ready to fully commit to the course offering that I have or the full mentorship program that I offer. So if you would like to learn a little bit more and get some more specific one-on-one recommendations about your fertility and your fertility awareness method charting, then I have a new session offering. These sessions are 60 minutes in length. And in this 60 minutes, we pack them full of everything that we possibly can um, in terms of tracking and charting your cycle, optimizing your fertility, whether that be through yoni steaming, abdominal massage, acupressure. If you're local to me, we can certainly do an acupuncture treatment, Chinese herbal medicine. It really can be whatever you want it to be in those 60 minutes. Um, And people really appreciate having an opportunity to start working with me and seeing what it's like and not having to really fully commit to a full program or course. Uh, These sessions are also really affordable at $100 um, for the 60-minute session. So you can book those. I will link the booking link in the show notes of this episode, and it's also on my Instagram. It's called an introductory fertility awareness method session, but like I said, it can kind of be any kind of session that you want it to be, however you want to use the 60 minutes is totally up to you. So I would love to see you in one of these sessions soon. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Fertile Womb Podcast. I hope you're all enjoying this holiday season. I know that it can be kind of stressful and overwhelming, especially if you are on a fertility journey, and especially if you have been on one for a while. It can be really wonderful to get together with family and friends that maybe you haven't seen for a long time, or you only see once a year, but it can also be full of all sorts of uncomfortable comments and questions about when a baby is going to be coming into your life, especially if you don't already have children, or maybe when's brother or sister coming along if you do already have children, and if you are having trouble conceiving your next child. So... Around that, I will just say to give yourself some grace and let yourself maybe not go to certain things if you know that it's going to be really uncomfortable or, you know, see if you can try to avoid that uncomfortable conversation by changing the subject to something else. And I know that that can be easier said than done. And I know that is something that I personally struggle with you know, just kind of wanting to be the people pleaser and going to all the things that you're supposed to go to or having the conversations with the people that you kind of don't really want to, but you want to be polite. So my invitation for you is, yeah, to maybe let go of that perfectionism about that and, and take care of yourself on your fertility journey. 
Another thing that's really common in the holidays, around the holiday season, I find this is outside of the fertility journey too, but anybody that is working on optimizing their health can be kind of um, a little bit thrown off by the holiday season because there's traveling, there's all sorts of meals and sweet treats and all sorts of things, alcohol to throw you off track of optimizing your health and well-being. And I never recommend that people are really rigid about the way that they go, that they move through life of like, I can never have alcohol again. I can never have cookies or pie or whatever. Um, it is all about cultivating balance in your life. And part of having a balanced life is incorporating all of these things and cultivating joy with other people and creating a community with people that you love and enjoy being around. And so in this holiday season, if you're having more sweet treats or drinking a little bit more alcohol than you normally would, also giving yourself grace around that of, you know, I'm enjoying being with people that I love and joy and having fun is also really important for your fertility too. You can, you know, put yourself in a little box, which I am definitely guilty of this at times because I'm a healthcare practitioner and prioritizing my own health is so essential in being able to be really present with the people that I work with. I can sometimes get into this little box where I don't allow myself to do things that are you know, fun, like, you know, maybe staying up a little bit too late or having a glass of wine or something like that, um, because I know that it's not the most uh, optimal for my hormones or my menstrual cycle, but maybe it actually would be really helpful to kind of let go and cultivate a little bit more joy and freedom and flexibility in your life too. So women, you kind of probably know where you're at on that side of things. Of If you tend to be somebody that just throws in the towel and is like, whatever, I'm just going to have like five glasses of wine, who cares? Or if you're the kind of person who really could use some softening um, around the rigidity that can sometimes um, present itself when we are working on optimizing our fertility. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that um, in this holiday season. I'll probably be sharing more little thoughts about that as we go in closer towards Christmas and New Year's and, and everything that can happen around the, that time. But what I wanted to focus on today, which you've probably noticed in the title of this episode, is creating sperm quality that is more optimal. So men's sperm quality is rapidly declining. I can't remember the exact statistic, but something by the time it's like 2040 something, men's semen analyses are predicted to be basically at a level of zero concentration if we continue at the rapid declining rate that we are currently experiencing. So that's really terrifying. And of course, by that time, I'm sure they will have produced some sort of chemical stuff to make babies and that's all well and good. But if you're not really necessarily interested in that route for your future children or for future generations, then it's really important that we learn how to protect the sperm quality of our population. So the World Health Organization 
accepts a concentration of 15 million per milliliter in terms of total count, a motility of 40%. So that's how well the sperm move and a morphology, which is how they're shaped or whether they have like two heads or two tails, sort of what they're looking like in general is the morphology of the sperm of only 4%, which means that 96% of sperm can be abnormal. And that is still considered normal. And what I have learned over the years is that they have been sort of manipulating what is the numbers that are considered normal based on what is being seen in the population. And this is true with lab work too. So if this is where, you know, normal lab parameters with thyroid, for example, is a really common one that a normal TSH is really different from an optimal TSH level. So they're basically just moving the numbers up or down to fit whatever would put more people in the normal range, not as a reflection of what is actually most optimal for your health, but just what is most typical within the population. So basically they're just looking for like really big red flags. Like we need to do a surgery or we need to do some sort of like heavy hitting medication in order to solve this issue, which makes sense because those are the tools that they have. But when we are working on optimizing fertility or optimizing health or becoming more vital and healthy people, we're not really just looking for the baseline of, am I going to be able to stay alive or not? We are looking at feeling our best, you know, producing healthy children that will also be as healthy as they can be as well. So that is the World Health Organization guidelines for normal sperm parameters. So most of the time when women come to me and they their partner has already gotten a sperm analysis done, they will tell me that it's normal. I don't, or every now and again, somebody will say like, oh, they you know, have this or that, that is, that is low or suboptimal. They don't always have all of these parameters. Sometimes there's more things like DNA fragmentation and things like that. So all of that is really helpful to know too. And it sort of just depends on the lab, what the reference range is and what they are testing for. So now if we talk about what is actually a more optimal sperm analysis range, that would be 48 million per milliliter, which is significantly higher than what I just mentioned with the World Health Organization at 15 million. Motility of 63%, which means that 63% of them are actually moving, and a morphology of 12%. And so those are really very different numbers from the standard from the World Health Organization. And even that, you know, is really, I mean, still only 12% of them look normal. And that means that couples are very likely to conceive as long as, you know, the, the female partner is also doing her best to optimize her fertility as well um, with those parameters. So a lot of times I am telling women that although they have been told by their doctor that the semen analysis is 
normal, it may actually be suboptimal. So that's the first part to know is that we want to make sure that the numbers that we're looking at are actually looking at considering what is optimal rather than just what fits in this normal, unhealthy, common in our population situation. So the next part is to what do we do about this? So say that a man has suboptimal sperm parameters, then we are going to be wanting to do something to optimize his sperm. So it will take three to six months to see any results on a semen analysis. So when I am working with women, if they haven't had a semen analysis done, I recommend that they get that done as soon as possible so that if there is an issue that while we're working on the female side of things, that we are also working on the male side of things. A lot of times women come to me and they're like, you know, I already know I have PCOS or I have really painful periods. My cycle is all over the place, or I already know that there's an issue on my side of things, whatever the case may be. So let's just wait and, you know, sort my stuff out first, and then we will cross the semen analysis bridge when we get there. Like if I haven't conceived in, you know, six months or something like that. However, I recommend that women do not wait because he can be optimizing his sperm quality while she is optimizing her cycle and egg quality so they can be making some of these changes together because a lot of the recommendations for optimizing sperm quality are the same as optimizing egg quality or improving a female's fertility. So it can be really fun to start cooking fertility boosting meals together or being on the same supplements and making sure that both of you are taking them. And it can also be really, really helpful for the woman to feel like her partner is on the same team. One of uh, the women that I'm working with right now told me the other day that she didn't even really notice at first, but she was starting to feel really frustrated with her partner and that she was going to all of these appointments and taking all these supplements and making all these changes. And he's just kind of sitting around drinking beer and not really worrying about his side of things. And I don't think that that is any fault of any individual man. I do find that we really don't talk about the male side of things as much in the fertility space. At least we didn't used to. I do think that more people are becoming aware of the importance of this, especially in the spheres that I hang out in. But it really, it's kind of just like all in the woman. Like if there is a fertility issue, then it it must be the woman. She must be barren. It must be because her body is not receptive to the sperm or whatever. And because the woman is the one that's going to be carrying the child, there is a lot more pressure on the woman to be the one that is really optimizing her health and fertility because the man is just like, here's your sperm. I made my donation and then just you know, you can do whatever you want sort of situation. Of course, if that man is interested in being a healthy and present father, then he would want to be continuing on taking good care of his health um, for that side of things too. But that's sort of a conversation for another day. When we're just talking about sperm, we're really wanting to make sure that we are optimizing his health prior to when conception actually happens. So because it takes 74 days 
to complete the process of spermatogenesis, which is the production of sperm, it's really important that if men make changes to their diet lifestyle, or if they're doing supplementation or herbs or anything like that, that they are doing that for a certain length of time, at least three, not three months, ideally six months if they can. This is the same when we're talking about women too. If you can be working on preconception planning with diet, lifestyle, supplements, all of this kind of stuff for three to six months prior to conception, it's really better than if you just kind of come right off birth control or just all of a sudden are like, okay, now I'm ready to get pregnant. So here we go. If there is some planning, uh, both, you know, emotionally and physically, it can be really, really helpful for not only optimizing your chances of conception, but also optimizing your chances of conceiving a really healthy baby. So that's the other part of things. A lot of times when women come to me, whether there's a sperm issue or an issue with their cycle, they're kind of just like, all right, get me pregnant, like work your magic to get me pregnant with your needles. And it really doesn't work that way. And I almost get a little more nervous when people get do get pregnant right away because I can still see either in their chart or in their tongue or pulse or the symptoms that they're experiencing that their system isn't really ready to support a super healthy pregnancy. And I always hope the best for them. And I also invite them to continue working with me for diet and lifestyle and herbal recommendations if they're able to throughout their pregnancy, because I see that there are these deficiencies or depletions, for example. So anyway, to go back to the male side of things, what we can do to optimize sperm quality is if, so this is kind of like, if you, if there's already a known issue, if one of the parameters or potentially all of them are out of balance, then we are definitely going to want to be implementing what I'm going to share in just a couple of minutes. And even if there isn't a known issue yet, you could also just start working on these things regardless, because these are all things that are going to be supportive of his health anyways. So it's not like, oh, darn, I just wasted so much time working on my sperm quality and everything was fine. It's like, no, you're working on your health. So it's all good. So vitamin A rich foods are really important and it tend to be really deficient in our diet. And I am talking about vitamin A preformed vitamin A rather than beta carotene vitamin A, which is more commonly found both in supplements, a lot of prenatal vitamins, or also just multivitamins. I find vitamin A is in the form of beta carotene and our body, if we take vitamin A in that way is required to basically transfer that into its preformed. So if we are taking the beta carotene version of vitamin A, our body is responsible for converting that into retinol and the body does not do a great job with that for most, in most people. And so it's just a lot of extra work for your system. So it's really better for your sperm and egg quality. If you can get vitamin A in the preformed retinol form, um, right away. And so you can find that in organ meats. So I, this is, you know, if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you already know that I'm obsessed with desiccated liver capsules. 
I'll put a link in the bio in case you're new to that information. You can also eat liver or other organs. I People have asked me more recently about other organs, and I'm not an expert on organ meats, but what I have learned is the nutritional content of liver is significantly better than any of the other organs. So I don't think it's a bad thing to take a combination of the different organs or anything like that. But liver is the one that I have learned the most about and tend to recommend um, and see really, really significant improvements in menstrual cycle charts and sperm analyses as well, if people are taking them consistently. Um, vitamin A is also found le less amount in a lesser amount in eggs, as well as cod liver oil. So if people are against having organ meats for any reason, if they don't want to eat them or take the capsules, then cod liver oil can be um, another option for them. And the cool thing about cod liver oil is that it also contains omega-3s, which also helps to boost sperm quality, which is another thing that I will be talking about in a second. So fertility superfoods are the same kind of things that we recommend for women's fertility. Um, so it's no surprise, liver, of course, eggs and fish, which contain omega-3s, like I just mentioned. So there is less necessity for taking an omega-3 supplement if people, whether it's a man or a woman, are consuming fish regularly, which is two to three times a week, then you can skip the supplement for that full fat dairy, bone broth, fermented foods, leafy greens are all really supportive of a man's fertility. And so when men are vegetarians, which I have worked with a few women that were kind of coming out of being vegetarians themselves and had male partners that were vegetarians. And I know a ton more about the female side of things and all of the nutrient depletions and how that can affect their potential to grow a healthy baby. And a lot of that information, I highly recommend if there's any vegetarianism in your past, or if you're still kind of primarily vegetarian, or if your partner is, I recommend checking out the book, Real Food for Pregnancy by Lily Nichols. It really is my nutrition Bible for everything fertility. And so a lot of it is written for pregnancy. So some of the wording around the nutrients that are available or not available in a vegetarian or vegan diet were, are kind of like, oh, it helps with neural tube development or bone growth or structure of the brain for the baby. So obviously that won't be so appealing for a man because it won't really fully make sense to him. Like, why do I need to be taking it then? Um, but all of those nutrients that are not as available in vegan or vegetarian food sources are important to know about as well. So I will also say that the concentration and motility can be affected if a man is a vegetarian or a vegan. So if he has some sperm parameters that are out of balance and he's on a primarily vegetarian or vegan diet, it's the same kind of thing that I, I recommend for women. Like if there's any wiggle room with their diet, if they are willing to take in some animal source protein, if they're a vegan, like if they could 
eat eggs or dairy or full fat dairy, for example, or if they're a vegetarian, if they're open to taking the liver capsules, for example, because it's not necessarily having to chew and eat meat um, or bone broth potentially, because it's more of just like drinking and you can hide it in things. You can cook rice in it or quinoa or beans or whatever, make a soup and, and maybe kind of hide it in vegetables. And that can be easier for people that are vegetarians, primarily because of the maybe like ick factors, what uh, one of my clients call it. And I, I thought I like that. That's funny. Um, but beyond the ick factor, if it is more of like a moral sort of, or a religious situation, and there's just really no way that they're going to be eating animal protein, then, um, in the real food for pregnancy book, there are some recommendations for some vegetarian food sources of some of the things that are most important. So that would be, uh, worth looking at as well for, for the male side of things too. Also reducing pesticide exposure, toxins, xenoestrogens. So xenoestrogens, I'm going to be doing an episode about that pretty soon. I've just started writing up some notes about that, but this is, you know, all of the cleaning products, body care products, pan, pots and pans that you have in your kitchen. So if you are a woman listening, which most of the people that listen to my podcast are women, um, then you can have a little bit of control over this. If you can buy new cooking materials, if you have nonstick pans, for example, or things that have plastics in them, not cooking in plastic, never putting anything in plastic in the microwave, not storing your food in plastic, um, especially if it's something that's been cooked and just kind of using glass or ceramic or stainless steel whenever you can for all of your cooking needs. Also not using aluminum foil when you're cooking and opting for beeswax instead. Um, so these are all kind of simple changes that you can make that can really improve um, a man's sperm quality, as well as the female side of things, heavy metal exposure or um, electronic magnetic resonance exposure can be impacting sperm quality. So I recommend that men don't put their phone in their pocket. So most women have their phone, they have tend to have a purse or something or a bag that they put their phone in, but a lot of men will put their phone in their pocket. And that can be enough of an exposure that it could affect sperm quality. Also putting a laptop directly on their lap. So it's really close to their testicles can impact sperm quality as well. Smoking cigarettes and pots is a big no-no for sperm quality. And it's the same kind of thing with women. Like if there are things that are too hard, I mean, quitting smoking is probably one of the most difficult things for people to do. And especially if it's more of like a social thing or something that, that they're doing for stress relief and they kind of go a little bit crazy. Um, if they're not getting that hit of nicotine, then we want to make sure that we're working with the man and not kind of like shaming him, or there's not going to be disruptions in the relationship because of it. But we're, we're wanting to kind of have an awareness of, are there issues that are affecting the sperm quality? Have we seen that there's an issue with the analysis? And then if there are things that we're not going to be able to change, like smoking, for example, then we need to do more with supplementation and, and be more conscious of the other things that we can improve. So um, drinking alcohol is same kind of thing. So if a man is really attached to 
having some kind of alcohol at certain times of the day or whatever, um, not making a big issue about it, but also being aware that if this is going to be a thing that stays in his lifestyle, then it will be impacting his sperm quality, especially if he's drinking a significant amount. And what is significant is kind of relative, but I will say that it is, it, it becomes pretty obvious if people are pretty attached to their alcohol medications like steroids, taking testosterone, which many people don't know. You would think like, if I'm taking testosterone, it's making my testosterone higher and that should improve my sperm quality, but it actually has the opposite effect. And taking testosterone, exogenous testosterone is basically like birth control. So it's kind of like our birth control, you know, if for women we're being exposed to synthetic hormones and it prevents us from being able to get pregnant and can do all sorts of wacky things to our body. And the same thing is true with taking hormones for men as well. Antidepressants, opiates, blood pressure medications, antibiotics, and antivirals, all of those things can affect sperm quality in addition to many other medications. And I do not recommend ever coming off of medications that you have been on willy-nilly just because you've heard that it can affect sperm quality. I do recommend talking to the prescribing doctor and saying like, is there anything else that I could be on that wouldn't affect my sperm quality? Do you have any research information about how this can affect my sperm quality? Is there anything else that you can recommend that I could try instead? So for example, with opiates, a lot of times people are taking those because it's a painkiller and acupuncture, things like physical therapy, exercise, there are other ways to reduce or eliminate pain that will allow you to either titrate off the medication. So, and a lot of it is dosage too. You know, if you're on a higher dose, if you can reduce the dosage, maybe it would have less of an effect on your sperm quality. So it's never about all or nothing of if you're doing this thing, your sperm quality is going to be in the, in the hole and there's nothing that we can do, we are wanting to kind of work with what's in front of us. And that's part of the work that I do when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with people, especially is, okay, what's the lifestyle situation? What's the sperm looking like? How can we work with this? And it's the same thing for women too. You know, it's like, I'm a nurse and I can't take my temperature because I do overnights twice a week or something like that just don't take your temperature. You're like, you know, there are these ways that I've learned to work with what is in front of me rather than, okay, well, if you can't do everything perfectly, then there's no point. And we might as well just throw in the towel and don't even bother trying to conceive sort of situation. Anyways, also not overheating the testicles is really important for sperm quality. So things like saunas, hot tubs, um, sitting all day is another really important, um, situation to be aware of because a lot of men are sitting at work all day. A lot of people are becoming more aware of that and are having like standing desks or walking around throughout the day. So that's really important. Wearing tight underwear as well, or having the phone in the pocket, as I mentioned before, can also be heating in addition to the EMR exposure. Um, and so ideally the testicles are two to seven degrees cooler than the rest of the body. And that is why they are designed to hang outside of the body. So if they are being heated, they're not able to maintain that temperature 
differentiation from the rest of the body. And so that impacts sperm quality. That's why this is really important. So wearing loose underwear is really important. And then they also make cooling underwear, which is really interesting. So I was working with somebody, I have maybe talked about this previously, but her husband was really into going into the hot tub and we had to do some work around that of, of having him do some other things that he enjoyed, but he always was still doing that. And that was fine, but it's the same kind of thing. Like I was talking about with smoking or other lifestyle factors that if that's going to be a thing that cannot move or we can't do anything about, then we do other things to optimize the sperm quality, like supplements and things like that. Potentially, if we know that that's going to be a thing that, um, is going to be consistent and they did, they have a wonderful little baby now. So we figured that out. Um, but cooling underwear can be a, a cool thing too, if we're having a heating of the testicles issue, um, consistently exercise is also important, but not too much. So it is a little bit of a Goldilocks situation, similar to, to women's fertility that we're kind of taught that more exercise is better and exercise is only a good thing, but women have a, a tool to be able to assess every single month exactly how exercise and dietary changes are shifting and changing their cycle issues. So I will see, you know, potentially an improved cervical fluid or improved temperature or earlier ovulation, for example, or a longer luteal phase. If women are kind of able to reel in the exercise thing, if that's an issue for them. And for men, we don't have as clear of a gauge because we only really have the sperm quality to go on unless they are having an awareness of maybe their Chinese medicine diagnostic pattern, or maybe some other lab work, for example, or just paying attention to what they're feeling in their body um, is another thing that can be really helpful, but not all people are as aware of, of how they're feeling in their body or how exercise makes them feel. Most people, especially if they've been exercising you know, consistently for a really long time will only say that it makes them feel better. And it's not until they kind of pull back a little bit when they realize like, oh, I was actually really exhausted and I was just kind of using caffeine or other supplements or whatever to keep me going, but it really wasn't what was keeping me uh, most healthy. It was just kind of relieving stress and circulating my blood, which has an endorphin effect, which makes you feel good, but it may actually not be the most supportive for your overall system. So it is, like I said, a Goldilocks situation for men too, that too much exercise can be just as detrimental as too little exercise. So, um, you know, men can get away with a little bit more than, than women can. Our systems tend to be a little bit more sensitive in that way. Um, but I, it's, it's worth mentioning that if a man is kind of always at the gym and pumping iron and whatever that can impact his fertility as well. Ruling out any medical issues as well. A lot of men from my experience in talking with the women that I work with are like, don't go to the doctor for 10 years and things like that. So, you know, if there's an issue, you know, maybe you see an issue on a sperm analysis, I'll recommend uh, an at-home semen analysis in a little bit. So if you do that and you see maybe there's an issue, but you don't really fully understand why, like maybe none of these lifestyle factors are an issue. So maybe you want to look a little bit deeper and see if there's maybe something else going on as well. 
Um, and then working with potentially a functional medicine doctor or a fertility specialist. A lot of times, if you go to a fertility doctor right away, they're going to want to be pumping you full of medications, primarily the woman, um, because they know that that's like their best case scenario of getting a baby in your belly as soon as possible, but it's not always in a health optimizing way for you or your partner. And I always recommend that people are starting with these lifestyle factors with, you know, sleep, diet, nutrition, all these kinds of factors that we have control over, but maybe aren't aware of, and then moving into potentially using medications if that's necessary. One of the other things that I wanted to mention about sperm quality is the use of vaginal lubricants. So especially for women that have a lower libido or don't notice very much cervical fluid or arousal fluid. So there is a difference between cervical fluid and arousal fluid. And arousal fluid is what you will see or feel when you are actually feeling aroused, which maybe you don't always feel when you're going to be having sex because maybe it's become more mechanical when you're trying to conceive. You're just kind of like, oh, well, today is a good day. So we got to just do it. And other women notice in the ovulation time period that they do actually have more of a libido and they do have more arousal fluid. And there's so much that I could say about that too, um, which I'm planning to do a libido episode and also a, talking about how sex can kind of become this like mechanical means to an end rather than being a part of a relationship builder and connection tool um, for a couple. So anyway, that's coming uh, at some point. But what I wanted to say about vaginal lubricants is that if you're using them because you have a limited uh, fluid on your side of things, arousal fluid, cervical mucus, whatever, then maybe you're using a vaginal lubricant. So it's really important to use a sperm friendly lubricant. So something like pre-seed, for example, is a fertility friendly lube. So I'll provide a link to that in the show notes of this episode. So you can go and check that out. But that's just something that I wanted to mention that we don't want to be using any kind of lubricant that is going to be potentially inhibiting the sperm's ability to travel through your cervical mucus and getting into your uterus to be able to create your baby. So that is everything that I wanted to say about the sperm side of things. There is so much more that I could say, but we'll just leave it there with the diet and lifestyle recommendations. Oh, I did want to say one more thing. When I am talking about supplements for men, I really love the brand Needed, which I have been loving them for all things prenatal for the female and male side of things. So I'll provide a link to my male uh, protocol for optimizing fertility from Fullscript. So you can go and check that out. In order to check it out, you do have to create an account, but creating an account is free. So you can just go and look at it. You can create the account look at it, see how much it is, see if you want to get any of those things. Um, and then, yeah, there's no, you don't have to pay for anything if you just want to look at it. So there's a multivitamin, a sperm improvement supplement and omega-3 supplement if men do not consume fish regularly as well as CoQ10. And for CoQ10, it's recommended that you take 600 milligrams a day. And I have been telling people, I've been like screaming that from the rooftops lately. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that, that a lot of CoQ10 supplements will be like a hundred or 200. And then you would be needing to take 
more capsules. And there are on the full script that I will link in the show notes, it, there is a 600 milligram one and they tend to be significantly more expensive, of course. So, but either you're going to be buying it more frequently and because you'll be taking more of the pills or you'll buy this other one that's more expensive. So it probably ends up working out the same. If you want to do the specific calculations to figure out which one is more expensive, um, go for it. I have not done that math personally, but 600 milligrams is really what we recommend, especially if you have found that there's an issue and even more, especially if you are of advanced age. And so that's in the fertility space. You know, we're talking about like over 35, which there's so much that I could say about that. I'm not an ageist person. I think that people can have healthy babies well into their forties. And I have definitely seen that happen and experienced that in my own practice. So I will just say that that just comes from the research that is important to be optimizing egg and sperm quality as you age. So, and then the at-home test, which I'll link in the show notes is called Meet Fellow, and they will give you a concentration, motility, and morphology information about the sperm quality. So, and also the total modal count, which is the total amount of them that are moving. So I'll link that in the show notes and you can get that just shipped right to your door. The man, your partner can do it at home. And so he doesn't have to go to a clinic and do all of that kind of uncomfortable stuff that probably deters a lot of men. So I love that they are doing these at-home tests nowadays. Anyways, hopefully this was helpful. And as always, please reach out to me if you have any questions or if anything was unclear in this episode. I'm excited to share with you that I have recently found a an at-home hormone testing company that I really, really love and very much align with their methodology and perspective on testing your hormones for understanding what's happening with your fertility. So the name of the company is Prove. So it's spelled P-R-O-O-V. And I really love that they kind of do a full hormone testing um, for understanding your fertility and potentially ovarian reserve. There are always limitations when you're talking about taking a snapshot on any individual day. But what's so really so great about this company is that they do invite you to test your hormones on multiple days of the cycle to really get a more complete picture of what's actually going on. Um, so I highly recommend checking them out. You can find them at provetest.com and you can use my code Holly, H-O-L-L-Y 20 at checkout to get 20% off of your first order. And they do have a variety of different test kits. Um, and some of them do also incorporate the male side of things. So they do offer some semen analysis as well. So go over to prove P R O O V test.com to check them out. And don't forget to use my code Holly 20 to get 20% off of your first order. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody that you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that was shared here today. If you're interested in finding more about me, you can find me on my website at rosebudwellness.com. 
on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness or on Facebook at the Rosebud Wellness Community. Also, if you're feeling called to leave a a rating or writing a review, that would be amazing. It really helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks so much for listening and until next time.